I'm back. <laughs> uh, I'm just telling Albert, you know, I've just been able to sit in the in the audience, not just sitting in the audience, but I've been able to really enjoy other people preaching the last three weeks. So thank you, Ken, and thank you, Albert. I wasn't sure that you guys would want me back up here. <laughs> those, those guys are awesome. Um, we're going to be in John chapter 20 this evening, um, dwelling on, again, the, the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Uh, during our Advent series, uh, we have heard about the hope that we have in the Messiah, um, how he, he promised in, in the Old Testament, in the book of Isaiah, to come to the earth, and that at the moment he came to the earth in his incarnation, he would begin taking over the world and, and his dominion would never end from the moment of his incarnation. This is Jesus we're talking about. And then we talked about faith and what it means to be given the gift of faith in the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the faith that, that brings us so much joy. And we, we talked about the joy that we have in the Messiah, in Jesus Christ, joy that cannot be matched by anything else. And then we talked about this amazing Peace that God has declared between Himself and His people, particularly within the whole world, generally. And it's just it's amazing. We talked about the word shalom in Hebrew and what it meant, this peace that just it overwhelms us. The fact that we have rebelled against God and sinned against God and, and His response to our high treason is a declaration of peace. Um, what kind of God is that? Uh, that's the God of the Bible. Uh, that's, that's the hope we have in, in Jesus Christ, that even though we are sinners, Christ died for us. While we were His enemies, He gave His life for, for us. And today, all of these messages we've been, we've been hearing, they culminate for us. Uh, Christmas time is always an interesting time to present a message because every year we hear the same thing. <laughs> Right. Luke, we were in Luke chapter 2 last year. Luke chapter 2, verse 14. And uh, that's one of the common verses of, of Scripture. And, and I'm just thinking about the hope and faith and joy and peace and, and what that means for us. Um, why do we, why do you think we celebrate Christmas? Let me just ask you, why do you think we celebrate Christmas? The birth of Jesus Christ, yeah. So this is something that happened 2,000 years ago. So what's the point in still just celebrating Christmas? What does that accomplish? That was 2,000 years ago. He was born. Anticipation of the return. Sure, but that's future. So we have the birth and the past, return, future. What's happening right now? What does Christmas mean right now? Do we even know the answer? Find ourselves in John chapter 20 this morning. <laughs> Just testing you. Seeing. So, when it was so when it was evening on that day. This is John chapter 20 verse 19. Let's read this this morning. <laughs> So when, when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, 
Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. Shalom. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. And the disciples then rejoiced. They celebrated when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace be with Shalom. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. And if you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, I have no idea if that's how you pronounce that. Didymus, Didymus, Didymus? Uh, One of those, right? Was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were saying to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails, and put my finger into the place of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now just a quick note on doubting Thomas. Do you recall any instruction in Scripture? I don't know, like (laughs) Matthew 24, when Jesus says, if anybody says, look, there he is, don't believe them. Doubting Thomas was not so much doubting, it seems to me, as just listening to Jesus. Don't believe them if if they say, look, there he is. Right? But we're not talking about doubting Thomas this evening. We're talking about the incarnation, the blessed birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And, and I want to focus particularly on verses 21 through 23, the instruction that Jesus gives his disciples. But first, we need to, we need to set the scene, which, which happens in verses 19 and 20. Of course, at this point, Jesus has been crucified, brutally murdered on a, on a Roman cross for, for the sake of his name and for the good of His people to be their substitutionary atonement, to die in their place so that we can have this hope we've been talking about in our Messiah, Jesus Christ, and so that we can have this, this, this joy and this faith and this, and this peace that we've been talking about because of our Messiah who, who died in our place on, on the cross. He was born to die but death was not the end for Jesus. On the third day, on, on Sunday, Jesus rose from the grave. And His disciples haven't seen Him yet. In verse 19, So when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, what was the first day of the week? Maybe Sunday. <laughs> right? So this is Sunday evening. On Sunday evening, the Lord's Day, the day that Christians gather to worship, And when the doors were shut where the disciples were, for fear of the Jews, now let's continue thinking about this, the disciples at this point are all Jews too. These are Jews hiding from Jews. Jews who all believe in some kind of Messiah, but those persecuting their kinsmen, the Jews who persecuted other Jews, they didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They had Him murdered on a cross. Do you remember that? 
And now those Jews who are following Christ, they are hiding on Sunday night from the Jews who did not because they feared persecution. So the doors are locked. And this is an important detail. Remember this. The doors are locked. The outside world is shut out. Christians have isolated themselves because they are afraid. Afraid of persecution. And Jesus came and He stood in their midst. Now there's some mystery surrounding this verse. Nobody knows precisely how Jesus came to be in their midst without them noticing either He snuck in ninja Jesus or in his glorified state he was able to move through walls superhero Jesus one of those but this is one of the hotly debated topics among those people who care to debate such things (laughs) Jesus came and stood in their midst and he said to them peace be with you which was a standard greeting between Jews Shalom. You would go to somebody's house and say, Shalom. Peace be with you. Peace be upon you. Peace be upon your house. Blessings, brother. Shalom. And of course, this is rendered in the Greek because the New Testament is rendered in Greek, but the idea is the same. This is the standard greeting. Shalom. Now, can you imagine? Jesus died. This was only a couple days ago. Jesus died. And now we're hiding. We're locked in our building. We have the doors locked. People are trying to persecute us and we're hiding. And all of the sudden, we hear shalom and everybody turns around and it's Jesus. <laughs> Jesus. Shalom. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. He, he proved that it was him. Yes, they crucified me, but here I am. I have <laughs> woken from my sleep. I rested on the Sabbath and, and I rose from the grave here on the Lord's day. And the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. They had church. They celebrated, saying, It was a joyful noise. Our Savior is alive. Our Lord is, Jesus is alive. And too many times, I think on Christmas, that's where we stop the celebration. The do this in remembrance of me. And we are remembering an event that took place 2,000 years ago, and we are looking forward to something in the future. But I want you to notice something about this text in verses 21 through 23. Jesus did not say, his, his next words were not, Yes, keep celebrating. I'm alive. I'm awake. Keep celebrating amongst yourselves and wait for me to return. Those aren't Jesus' words here. Jesus didn't say, wait for me to return. He didn't just say, go to church and keep yourselves busy. He didn't just say, yes, go meet once a week, stay faithful to the community, and one day I will return to collect you. Those aren't Jesus' instructions here. In response to their celebration, verse 21, Jesus said to them again, was that Jesus calling? <laughs> no. So Jesus, <laughs> Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. Shalom. Again, 
Jesus has already given the standard greeting. There's no reason for him to say shalom again. There's no reason for him to again say peace be with you. This is more than a standard greeting. He is declaring once again the peace that God has made with his chosen people that despite their rebellion and sin and because of the sacrifice of Jesus two days before this, that that God's people have peace with God. Even though they were his enemies, God made them friends. Even though you and I were enemies of God, he made us friends through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is he's reminding the disciples about this. And the disciples in this room, this isn't only the twelve. This is the this is the church. This is broadly all the disciples of Jesus Christ represented in in this room. And Jesus says, peace be with you a second time. Shalom a second time. Like, this thing is for real. When my death and resurrection accomplished, this is real. And no matter your mess-ups, no matter your mistakes, you are at peace with God. But that isn't the end. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Like this is the outpouring of this of this peace. And I want to notice two things about Jesus' instruction here. First, he reminds his disciples of his incarnation as the Father sent me. And then he tells his disciples to do exactly what he did in his incarnation. I also send you. Let's talk a moment about the incarnation as, as the Father sent Jesus. What does that mean? The Father sent Jesus. We go all the way back to John chapter 1 and the first few verses we begin reading. And, and here's what we read. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. In the beginning, everything that was made was made through the Word. And nothing that has been made has been made apart from the Word. And the Word became flesh, and the Word dwelt among men. His name is Jesus. And what did Jesus do? What kind of ministry did Jesus have? John gives us all this information in the very first chapter of his gospel, John chapter 1. Jesus was the, the light. He came into the darkness of this world. And he explained the truth. And he revealed God the Father. And he declared grace for people. Peace, And He forgave people of their sins through His crucifixion and resurrection. That's the work Jesus did in His incarnation. So we want to think about Christmas. Like, this is more like Christer, like Christmas and Easter together, okay? Like, so we want to think about Christmas and we want to think about the incarnation. What did Jesus accomplish in His incarnation? He, he accomplished those four things. He, he gave grace and He revealed truth and He explained God to humanity. Jesus Christ, the full revelation of God to humanity and He applied redemption to humanity through His death, burial, and resurrection, that substitutionary atonement, taking, taking, taking my place on the cross and taking your place on the cross. 
That's what Jesus accomplished in His incarnation. That's what we celebrate for Christmas. So we think about those things. And we celebrate and we celebrate that, that hope. And we celebrate the, the, the faith. And we celebrate the joy. And we celebrate the peace that Jesus accomplished at the cross. And all of our celebrating is great. And celebration is a great first step. But do you wonder why... Do you wonder why some Christianity seems to be so shallow today without direction and without, and without vision? It's because the only thing people do is get together to celebrate and they forget the second part of this equation. The celebration is good and we, we want to thank the Lord. I have a church family to come and, and celebrate joyfully with the incarnation of our Lord from Sunday to Sunday on the Lord's Day. That's why we worship on Sunday. By the way, that's when Jesus was raised from the dead. It's an important, important day of the week, important symbolism. That's why we gather on, on Sunday. And that's why Sunday has become so holy. But that's where we stop. Celebration. And the church accomplishes nothing. We're waiting. Waiting for Christ's return, hiding from the world. Brothers and sisters, um, if you didn't know, when I graduated from high school, I almost had nothing to do with the church. I wanted nothing to do with, with Christianity and nothing to do with God. And really, it was about the time I was 14 years old, right? And then God plucked me from the darkness, saved me when I was 15 years old. And still I remained a baby Christian into maybe a couple years into my college career. I just remained a baby Christian, waiting, not doing much, thinking, how weird is this faith, this church thing, where people get together and and on Sunday they sing a few songs and hear a guy give a cool speech and then they go home and next Sunday do it all over again and like nothing else is happening. How weird is that? And people seem to just be okay with that. I wasn't. Because I, I don't know, I, I knew Christ and I wanted other people to know Him too and it didn't seem to me like the church was, was trying. And here we read this instruction from Jesus like the people are pouring out their praise and their celebration and Jesus doesn't respond with, yeah, just keep doing that. No, the celebration leads to us doing what Jesus did during his incarnation, during his life, 33-ish years on this earth, between his human birth and his human death, and before his resurrection, like we are to be doing what Christ did. As the Father sent me, I also send you. Some people celebrate Christmas, and some people follow Jesus. 
And I hope we hear that this morning. <laughs> you almost didn't catch it, did you? I also send you. Here we receive the the job description for the Christian. The Christian's job description. And we also see like something amazing about Jesus Christ. Uh, you do know that, that Jesus Christ made appearances in the Old Testament story, right? Before he was born, he, he actually made appearances. Uh, in the beginning was the Word, so that would be the, the very first appearance of Jesus Christ, the very first appearance of the pre-incarnate Christ. It's in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, where God speaks the world into existence. That's the first pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. Uh, another appearance would be when Moses was before the burning bush and, and God spoke from the burning bush, a pre-incarnate appearance of, of Jesus Christ. And then Jesus Jacob wrestles an angel, and an angel touches him and pops his, you know, pops his, his hip joint out of socket. And he says, I, I wrestled God and lived to tell about it. He was wrestling Jesus Christ. So those, those are pre-incarnate appearances of Jesus. And then we have the incarnate appearance of Jesus 33-ish years on earth between his human birth and his, and his crucifixion. But then Jesus is risen from the grave and he appears to his disciples in this room in a state we call the glorified state. Jesus did not give up his, his incarnate body he retained it. He kept it. Still to this day, Jesus retains two natures. He's still 100% God, and He's still 100% man. And he, and he sits at the right hand of the Father, whatever that looks like. You know, logistically speaking, I, I don't know if I can figure that one out. But that's the way Scripture describes things as being. And we call this the continuing incarnation of Jesus Christ. Have you ever wondered why Jesus doesn't appear today like He did in the Old Testament, even though He's ascended to heaven? Have you ever wondered that? If you haven't, I've wondered it for you. <laughs> you know, like, why, don't, why doesn't Jesus just come in here and sit with a church body on a Sunday. Why doesn't he just attend church services? Why, during the, the climactic moments of our lives, does Jesus not mystically appear to us and, and show us the way like he did in the Old Testament? Why doesn't he do that? Here we receive our answer. Jesus says what? As the Father sent me in his incarnation, so I send you in my continuing incarnation. You know what that means? It means the local church, the local church body, Christians gathered together. We are the appearance of our Lord Jesus Christ in His continuing incarnation. You've probably heard some preacher stand up and say something like this. You better act right around your friends and family and co-workers. You may be the only Jesus they see. You've heard something like that, right? And usually it's said to get people to act the right way. Um, 
Now, the second part of that, you may be the only Jesus somebody sees. Yeah. And you're not going to be perfect. (laughs) You're not always going to act right. You're not always going to say the right thing. Some of you slips today. Me. Okay. (laughs) I was talking about me. (laughs) Yeah. No, it's... We are the Jesus people see now in the current age. That's why Jesus sends us like this. And and you're thinking like, how is that even possible that the the local church is the appearance of Jesus in the world today? Like like Jesus was light in the darkness and now he's telling the, the church to be light in the darkness. Not just to act like perfect people, but to actually like really be light in the darkness. We're thinking, how is that even possible? I'm... I am no Messiah, and I am no and I am no Jesus. What a lofty task Christ has given us imperfect, wretched people, people who who do sin, people who are not perfect, people who have impure thoughts and impure motives, people who are are sometimes selfish. How can God tell us to go to others like He came to us? That, that seems an impossible task, doesn't it? To be Christ-like, to be like Christ, to herald His mission, to carry His flag. That seems impossible. As the Father has sent me, I also send you to be light in the darkness. Sometimes, guys, I don't feel like light in the darkness. Sometimes I feel like I'm just adding to the noise. Sometimes I feel like I'm just as selfish as everybody else. Sometimes I feel like my motives are impure. This year I've been the the least confident I think I've ever been in my life because everything I do, I feel like I'm I'm second guessing it. Like guessing my own motives and and guessing as to whether or not I'm actually in this thing to honor Christ. Like this year's been rough, y'all. I'm sure it's been rough for, for more people than, than only me. Yet Jesus has, has said, I, I'm sending you out like I came to you. And in the incarnation, Christ, he, he left his lofty place in heaven. And he was born in a, in a stupid barn with stupid animals around. <laughs> We call that the, the condescension of Christ, the, the kenosis of Christ. Albert preached about that from Philippians. And he, he came down from his place of glory, was born as a baby? Why? A, no. And a baby that people would try to kill? Isaiah tells us that he looked like an ordinary man. There's nothing special about the way Jesus looked. Though I'm sure he was buff. He was a carpenter. I don't know anything about that, though. I didn't see him. An ordinary man? Born into a, a family that nobody knew? Like from God to Mr. Insignificant? And this is the Savior of the world. And He grew up and 
claimed all authority in heaven and on earth. We read that in Matthew 28. And after claiming all authority in heaven and on earth, then he says, as I came to you, condescended to you, so you go to other people. I don't know if I'm that... I don't know if I'm good enough to do that, y'all. And I'm sure the disciples are thinking the same thing. Remember, these disciples, they're cowering right now. Like persecution has come come against them and they they locked the doors, hid themselves away. And these are the people Jesus isn't getting on to them for doing that. He just says, Hey, as I came to you, now go to those people outside the doors. And when he had said this, he he breathed on them. <laughs> this passage just keeps getting weirder. <laughs> he breathed on them. You think before I start teaching from now on, I'm just going to come up to you and... Oh no, it's COVID season. We can't do any of that. (sighs) He breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Why would Jesus breathe on them? Why would He blow on them? In Hebrew tradition, this comes from the Hebrew language, the word for spirit can also be translated as, as wind. A breath. Which is cool. So in, in Hebrew, and when the Jews would talk about the Spirit of God, they would talk about the Spirit of God, and they would compare the Spirit of God to wind and, and breath. And Jesus, in John chapter 15, He said the Holy Spirit does what the Holy Spirit wants to do. He's like the wind. And the wind... You can feel the effects of the wind, but you don't know where it's coming from or where it's going. So it is with the Holy Spirit. Spirit, wind, breath. And here, Jesus received the Holy Spirit. Received the Holy Spirit. It seems that the Holy Spirit plays a major role in what we are called to do. You see, without the Holy Spirit... We are entirely unable to be the appearance of the continuing incarnate Christ on this earth. Without the Holy Spirit, we cannot go to others like Christ came to us. It is beyond our natural ability. The Holy Spirit is is the key. In Acts chapter 2, we see the coming of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes... The apostles begin preaching, and this noise fills Jerusalem. And people come, and the people there who speak languages other than Hebrew or Greek, or they begin hearing in their native tongues. And they believe the gospel that the apostles are teaching. Not because the apostles are great or something to, to behold, but because the Holy Spirit is moving through them. How can the local church today be the appearance of Christ only by the Holy Spirit? And y'all, when the Holy Spirit comes and, and takes hold of our lives and our hearts, 
the Holy Spirit, like we get this picture of the Holy Spirit, like the Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit fills us, the Holy Spirit fills the, the room, and we are drawn by the Holy Spirit to celebrate. Look, these guys are already celebrating. When the Holy Spirit gets a hold of us, we go to work. We start going and doing what Jesus did, not locking ourselves away and just praise Jesus and then going home. We go to work. Receive the Holy Spirit. I send you. Receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is your empowerment. It's where your power is for evangelism, for sharing the gospel. And without the Holy Spirit, guess what? You won't do it. You'll just lock yourselves away and celebrate, and you'll feel good, but you won't be like Christ. And after saying, receive the Holy Spirit, Jesus continues, if you forgive the sins of any, now this is mind Boggling and mind blowing. If you forgive the sins of any, talking to the church as a whole, their sins have been forgiven them. And then this part is even more mind boggling. If you retain the sins of any, their sins have been retained. Now, I won't get into the second part of that and talking about what that means because I have a feeling we'll be here the rest of this week and all of next week if we try and get into the second part of, of that verse and guys I really want to go on vacation <laughs> so we'll, we'll, we'll tackle that we'll tackle that another time but the first part of this if you forgive the sins of any their sins have been forgiven them what did Jesus do during his ministry practically he would travel and heal people He would heal them. But his healing, he never did that without also proclaiming the gospel. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. There was one instance when some guys, <laughs> there was a hole in the ceiling already, or they cut a hole in the ceiling. I don't know who owned this house, but if they cut a hole in the ceiling, the guy who owned this house is probably really angry. But they come, and the, Jesus is in the house, and, and there's a crowd, so they can't get in through the door, so they, they go on the rooftops, and they carry their friend who can't walk on this mat to Jesus, and they drop him in through the, through the ceiling, through the roof, at Jesus' feet, and... Jesus, can you heal our friend? Jesus, can there be healing here? And Jesus doesn't begin by saying, yeah, get up. He says, your sins are forgiven. Oh, and then the religious people started getting all tense. Pharisees, can he, can he do that? Can he forgive sins? And what did Jesus do to prove to you I have authority to forgive sins? Get up and walk. And the guy got up and walked. <laughs> like, okay, Jesus has authority to forgive sins. And then he tells us to go do what he did. And then he tells the church, if you, church, forgive any one of their sins, their sins have been forgiven. So there he gives the local church, the whole church, the authority and responsibility to go to the world outside the church walls and proclaim not we hate you and you're doing everything wrong that's not what Jesus gives the church authority to do he gives the church authority to go out 
and forgive the sins of the world. Like, where did we miss that in the church today? How did we miss that? We just skipped over it for so long, right? So our job description here is fourfold. Give grace. Reveal truth. Explain God to humanity. That's why we preach through the the scriptures. Explain God to humanity. And apply the redemption that is in Christ Jesus alone to all of those who come. Your sins are forgiven. We proclaim that to one another. We proclaim that to our community. We proclaim that to our state, nation, and world. Your sins are forgiven. We want to think about Christmas. Christmas is not something we merely celebrate. The Incarnation is not something we merely celebrate. Oh, we celebrate. And we know how to celebrate. But we we should never forget that the Incarnation continues. And that Christ's appearance is through His church. And that He has given His church the responsibility quite literally to go take over the world in a way that is peaceful and built around forgiveness and built around the proclamation of the gospel calling the nations to repentance not to war, to repentance that is the mission Christ set us on that is that is how the incarnation applies to us here in Sunsights, Jesus was light in the darkness. Let's be light in the darkness. Are you are you content? Or rather, I should probably use the word complacent. Are you complacent in the faith? Are you complacent in life? Spinning your wheels and seeing nothing happen? And are you frustrated enough? Are you aggravated enough to get to work for the gospel as Christ instructed us to do? To go and proclaim the forgiveness of sins to the world? to build up the community rather than stinking tear people down? Are you ready to follow Jesus rather than just celebrate Christmas from week to week? That's what I'm, that's what I'm calling us to this evening. That's what Christ called us to. That was His vision for His church. 
what his church would become. And his church is that. And many parts of the world, if churches are doing things the way Christ wanted them to do things, they are on mission. The call here is a call to evangelism. You don't have Christmas without evangelism. When we think about evangelism, we think about Christmas music. Oh, that was that was a weird transition, wasn't it? <laughs> Christmas music. You guys want to sing some Christmas music with me? We have to get a church clap going. You guys are too awkward about this. Just, <laughs> just stand up. So, all right, everybody stand up. If you have rhythm, if you have rhythm. <laughs> all right, nobody has rhythm. Nobody has rhythm. And just one. <laughs> not this morning. <laughs> yeah, no. We, our, one of my favorite Christmas songs. It's usually done like barbershop quartet style. It's like, this is awesome. Get a nice rhythm going. If I can remember the words, I'll sing it for you. Are you ready? Children, how shall I send thee? Go where I send thee. I'm gonna send thee one by one, one for the little bitty baby. He was born in Bethlehem. Yeah. Children, how shall I send thee? Go where I send thee. Oh, I'm going to send thee two by two, two for Paul and Silas, one for the little bitty baby. He was born in Bethlehem. How about one more verse? There are 12 verses. I'm not going to do all 12 for <laughs> Children, how shall I send thee? Go where I send thee. Oh, I'm going to send thee three by three. Three for the Hebrew children. Two for Paul and Silas. One for the little bitty baby. He was born in Bethlehem. Sing it, brother. Sing it. <laughs> Woo! Amen. Um, well, listen, like every song that we sing, almost every Christmas song that's built around any sort of Christian ideal whatsoever, it's about the kingdom of God expanding through the incarnation of Jesus Christ and the people of God going on mission for God. Yeah. About the appearing of Christ. I have a post-millennial in the room who loves that. <laughs> every, every Christmas song is about that. And that's what we sing every Christmas and the words just... Just words. <laughs> you know, I believe what you sing. Please. And maybe if we believe what we sing around Christmas time... And we are on mission for our Lord. And everybody can do something or God would take us home. <laughs> but if we are on mission for our Lord, maybe the... You ready for another song? Maybe the world would sing like the angels in Luke chapter 2, verse 14. Glory 
God in the highest peace upon the earth good will people he favors oh here's Messiah's birth yeah that's just straight scripture let us be on mission for our Lord let us sing his glory and may we see peace and justice on the earth because of the incarnation of Christ in our time, in our time. It happens through the local church meeting. We de- devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching. That's teaching about who God is. This is Acts chapter 2. Devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching. Devote ourselves to the fellowship of believers, the gathering. Devote ourselves to the, the prayers. And devote ourselves to the taking of the the Lord's Supper, Communion, Eucharist. God is using those things. We invest in those things and and Christ conquers the world through that peace and justice. That's what the whole world wants anyway. When we invest our time in, in the gathering to one another, to building one another up, stimulating one another onto love and good deeds, it's... It's happening because God is sanctifying His church and reaching people with the gospel of of grace and peace. And as we invest our our dollars in the mission of of God and those are being used for the mission of God, like that's what we're accomplishing. That's something I want to invest in. And I hope that we all are because it's, that means more than, than anything we could just accomplish on our own and it's something that we can only participate with Christ in as a local church when we do it together. And brothers and sisters, let's pray. And then we will continue to worship our Lord. And then we will go from these walls, from behind these locked doors, into our mission field. Lord, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for everything. I want to thank you for being here with us being here in our midst. God, for choosing to choosing to use us for such a, a grand purpose. I wish people could understand that when we talk about having a relationship with you and, and what you are doing on this earth, bringing peace and justice the fact that you came to save the world and not condemn it, I, I wish people could understand. And I pray that you give ears to hear. I pray for your Holy Spirit to to regenerate hearts here in the valley. Bring people to you. And tomorrow, when families wake up to celebrate Christmas and they go through their routines, or or maybe this whole season has just thrown everybody off and nobody gets to do what they would normally do for Christmas. Lord, that you would use that to cause people to think about who you are. 
Like if, I mean, if you're real, that changes everything about the way we live and the way we do things and what we invest our time and money in. That's, and it's not just, hey, people are saved, great. Now just, now just wait, have a good time, and wait for me to return. Like that's, that's not the instruction you give us. God, give us a mind that is that can't help but share the gospel. Like the like the apostles in the book of Acts, when the Holy Spirit got a hold of them, <laughs> they were threatened by the authorities. Stop preaching the gospel or we'll throw you in prison. And they reply, We are unable to stop. Lord, may we be so blessed to have the Holy Spirit working in us like that. God, we love you. We love you. Thank you so much for the incarnation, the kenosis, the condescension of your Son. Thank you for our hope. Thank you for our faith. Thank you for our joy unexplainable joy despite any hardship it's amazing and thank you for declaring peace with us even though we were your enemies Lord we love you in Jesus Christ's name Amen Amen